Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Andrew Schreier with Talking Addiction and Recovery. It's a cold and windy, rainy night here in my home state of Wisconsin. Um, so you might hear the raindrops here and there because in my office at home it's um, a little den that has windows all over. So you might hear that back and forth, but uh, maybe the rain is soothing to you. So that'll just be a little beneficial. So this is the introduction to what I'm calling the Cognitive Intervention Series. And I'm really looking forward to this series in particular because as a counselor, as someone who works with um, addictions and other mental health, the thinking thought process is one of the most, um, I believe, important as far as one how to recognize certain things, become more aware of certain things, but also prevent certain things. Um, in the area of addiction, it's, you know, to recognize how your thoughts um, and emotions lead to behaviors, which when we look at is mostly using again. So to understand that process of how that goes on, but also to look at how to prevent that from happening because it becomes so habitual where it doesn't take much thought for that to happen. Um, and, and the more you pay attention to it, and the more you learn about it is going to be the biggest helpful thing. So in this introduction episode, I'm going to go over a few things as to why address this, why is this an entire series, um, and then also kind of highlight what's going to come in it because it, this one's going to be um, with this introduction one, it's going to have an eight episodes total, and there's going to be a lot of great things um, covered in this series, which I'm really looking forward to doing. Um, but one of the things that we start off with is um, how many thoughts do we have per day? I mean, what's how important is this? And the National Science Foundation, a number of years ago, estimated that our brains produce as many as 12,000 to 50,000 thoughts per day. And that kind of depends on how, um, quote-unquote, deep of a think you are. Um, some estimates may run as high as 60,000 a day. Um, you know, for some of you who are meditation, mindfulness practitioners, um, I mean, you become more and more familiar with all the thoughts that go in and out of your head, that our mind just pretty much generates them over and over. Um, and sometimes we look at, they just go from all over the place, from things in the past, things in the future, things that we're currently doing, um, but it, it goes all over the place. Um, there's some people that estimate that um, we have upwards of 70 to 8% of our daily thoughts are negative, and that, that's concerning. Um, if the majority of all those thoughts that we're having are negative, because we would look at that as making it more at risk for continued use or for a return to use when we're talking about it in the addiction um, area. So it's one of the things that we want to look at is to pay attention to that because how much of our thinking is playing a role in what we are doing. Um, but when we look at that, there is a lot of different ways that it's looked at as far as the influence of our thoughts. And it comes down to kind of what I'm thinking and how I'm feeling kind of will equal what I do, which is our behaviors, and our behaviors come with actions. So if I'm thinking a certain way and I'm feeling a certain way, um, with that mix of things, the equation is I'm going to act a certain way. 
So we need to pay attention to that because if we don't, we may take action or make decisions that are going to lead to consequences that we don't want. Um, it could be for us personally. It could be for people around us. And if we, we don't pay attention to that, um, the actions and behaviors can equate pretty quickly. It doesn't take long for us to have a thought, a feeling, and then all of a sudden, boom, we're doing something. So that's why the, the cognitive piece of it is going to be really, really important to pay attention to, which is the goal of um, part of this series. So the other thing is that when it comes down to counseling and therapies that address addiction, a lot of them have some component of paying attention to your thoughts. So cognitive behavioral therapy, just cognitive therapy, um, you know, rational emotive therapy, mindfulness, you know, a, a number of them and, and pretty much all of them at some point look at how thinking plays a role in it. In particularly cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one that, um, you know, as a counselor, one that's used quite often, um, is that it becomes a way of how our thoughts, um, you know, the role of cognitive expectancies in determining our behavior. So it, we focus on the thoughts, the, the cognitive schemas, beliefs, attitudes that influence our feelings, and then that all of a sudden that connects into what I was talking about before, which is our behavior. So a lot of those type of therapies and counseling talks about how you look at those things. So you have cognitions and thoughts, you have a feelings and then the behavior. So we have to look at how do we recognize those things, deal with those things, but also how do we change those and counter those so that we don't follow the same um, repeated history of, of what we've done. Um, how do we look at how our thinking might be a little bit skewed um, faulty or um, how our beliefs play a role in that. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that when it comes to therapeutically, um, if you've ever been to counselor, or if you're a, a therapist or counselor yourself, you, you know what this is where, um, you know, how many times do we ask, well, what, what were you thinking or what are you thinking? Um, what were you thinking? And it's funny because sometimes the answer we get is, well, I wasn't thinking. Um, and for it, it seems like that because especially a behavior like addiction, which is so habitual in which the brain is being hijacked, it can almost seem like you're you're not thinking that all of a sudden this event happens and all of a sudden before you know it, you're already using or you're already on your way to making that decision. But like I said, with the repetitiveness and the habitualness of um, addictive behaviors and using, it becomes so every daily habit for some people where it doesn't take much to even have to think about that. So I kind of introduced this in a funny way. Um, if I were to ask a client of mine, you know, how would you go get drugs and use it? Um, that would come to their mind like no other. They could think within a few seconds of how they would get the money, where they would go, who they would get it from, what they would get, how it would go down. Um, everything from using it to the effects to blah, blah, blah. I mean, that would run down very, very quickly in a matter of seconds. Now, to look at it in another perspective, if you were to ask um, a family member or friend who has never used drugs, 
what that process would be like, they would have to spend a significant amount more time to figure out how that would happen. As far as, you know, they may know how to get the money for it, but then who do I call? They may not know anyone who is dealing drugs or selling drugs. Um, how much to ask for, what to ask for, how that goes down, preparing it, you know, getting it ready, using it. The I mean, they wouldn't know all that. So for them to put in that cognitive effort would require a lot more as opposed to people who have been doing it, who have an addiction for so long, it doesn't take that much to do. So it's recognizing that that's what we're paying attention to is we're trying to slow that down, break that down more, get an idea of what's happening. But also we want to look at how do we stop that from having its same repetitive pattern in the end which is going back to using so we're trying to stop that from happening and that's where a lot of that cognitive intervention piece comes in uh, one of my favorite Viktor Frankl author of um, a man's search for meaning one of his best quotes is between stimulus and response lies our greatest power and that is where we want to use that cognitive intervention. So when this happens and I respond, between those two moments lies my greatest power and freedom. And that's where we want to try and hone in on that. Because when we don't, we lose that. And we go back to doing things that um, might put us in some, some troubling um, situations. So, and, and we look at that too where a lot of clients of mine too... We'll talk about how their thinking is even more of the problem than they're using. Um, even when they're sober or they've got some time um, abstinent from alcohol or drugs, they still recognize that, hey, there's there's something going, going wrong with my thinking. Um, it's not uncommon that some people will tell me, well, I don't have a drinking problem, I've got a thinking problem. Or I don't have a, a using problem, it's a thinking problem. Um, so that even comes from clients and patients of mine who, even when they look at being sober, they've got some time in sobriety, or when they're looking at getting sober uh, or maintaining that, they even recognize, hey, this is more than just a substance use problem. This is a, a thinking problem. So a lot of the time we dive into that um, in sessions and, and with a lot of the cognitive techniques that we're going to cover in here a little bit. So that goes down to what is going to be covered in this series. And I said, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing. Um, one of the things that I'm going to go through is what's called play the tape. Um, it's a, a cognitive intervention technique um, that's going to go through like the mindset of making sure that when you get triggered by something and you think of something, you play that tape through of what's going to happen, and I'll get more into detail about that, but I think that's a really, really important technique to learn. Um, I'm also going to get into an episode that's called Chasing the Groundhog Down the Rabbit Hole, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about that one. The, the title of it says enough, but um, it's something that I often talk to people about as far as chasing the rabbit when it comes to certain thoughts that they have. Um needing to be careful of how far you're willing to chase the rabbit and mostly because um, 
normally what happens is the same old thing. It, it doesn't really change, um, even though people continue to sometimes entertain those thoughts. So we'll get into that one, which I'm looking forward to. Another one we're going to do is thought counters. And this is one of the most fun exercises I've ever done. It's one of those where if I can pick one or two exercises to do with every client or patient, this is probably one of them. Um, I've done this in group settings, individual settings. In fact, for one of the group sessions that I did, um, I had three members from the Department of, the, uh, Department of Corrections who are evaluating our program. They sat in on this group in particular, and I wanted them to sit on this to see this exercise. And it's, um, boy, it's, it's enjoyable. It's a great one to do in groups, and you learn a lot by doing it. It's a lot of hands-on work, so I'm excited to kind of get into that and explain that, um, and we'll kind of do a little bit of a dry run of it even in the series just so you get an idea of what that's like for the clients or patients who do that with me. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to the thought counters, which basically comes down to how do we fight or argue the thoughts that we have in our head. Um, we have to counter those, and I'll get into more detail when we get into that episode. Um, thinking errors is another fantastic one. Um, I can't wait to get into that one, too. We all heard the, the criminal thinking errors, the cognitive distortions. Um, you know, for example, all or nothing thinking, um, minimizing, maximizing, catastrophizing. Um, I'm going to kind of go through a rundown of all those that I use a basic sheet um, to cover some of those. I'm going to kind of break them down one by one as far as how does that relate to um, using, you know, how does that relate to um, relapse, and also how do we deal with those or counter those. So that one will be one where we kind of dive into all of them, which will be, um, to me, really exciting because there's a lot of them that um, I've got particular techniques and kind of approaches for how I see those, but also how to um, address those so that it doesn't lead back to using or continued using. Uh, another one is going to be self-talk, which is really, really important. It's one that I've started to pay more attention to when I am talking with a client or patient, um, and they're saying things, and I realize, you know, if they're saying this to me, you know, what are they saying to themselves? And there's a great story that I share um, about self-talk, a really good quote that I love um, in relation to self-talk, and how that plays a role in all this. So that's going to be a really, really important one as well. Um, another one's going to be paying attention to your thinking. You know, one of the biggest things we can ever do is to increase awareness of what am I thinking. And I'm going to introduce a few techniques that you can do um, to start to increase your own awareness to your thinking. Um, some of that's going to come from mindfulness-based approaches some of it's going to be through some cognitive um, approaches um, but we're going to get into a couple of different things that look at how do you pay more attention to your thinking once you do that's where you can um, begin to look into that freedom and power that Viktor Frankl talked about between um, stimulus and response then then the 
last part I'm going to get into is a part on beliefs because we talked about how thoughts, feelings, and behaviors all kind of equate and work together, but there's a big role that beliefs play in that, and it's one of the harder areas to address, um, but I think it's more one of the more important ones to address because how those beliefs affect our thoughts and our feelings. So even though we talk about how this event happens and I have a thought about it and a feeling, a lot of us have these beliefs that are set within our um, our codes, our values, um, and all of a sudden when those certain events happen and those thoughts occur, beliefs kind of play a role in that. And we have to look at how do I address some of the beliefs that I have about myself, about others, about the world. Um, and if I'm going to keep holding on to these beliefs, how is that going to play a role in things? So there's a lot that's going to be covered in this series. Um, it's very exciting. It's going to be a lot of cool things. I'm going to cover a lot of material, a lot of applicable things that you can um, practice, take with you. So stay tuned. Um, the first one we're going to get to is play the tape. So hope you learned something and stay tuned next time.